Hello, and welcome to Grassi Canna Talk. My name is Zach Gordon. Today, we're going to dive into some pretty interesting topics in and around the cannabis industry. With me today, I have Robert Bernstein and John Pelletieri, both partners with Grassi. Uh, Robert, do you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Robert Bernstein. I'm a CPA and an attorney. I've been with Grassi since 2017. And as soon as I joined Grassi, I was asked to be one of the leaders in our cannabis practice. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background of how I came to understand the, the, the value of cannabis and medical cannabis uh, for us as a society. I had a good close friend who suffered horribly from migraines. He was never able to get any relief at all. Luckily for him, he moved to a state where medical cannabis was legal. He found the right doctor to prescribe the right uh, dosage of medical cannabis for him. And he is a fully functioning uh, person in society today. Uh, after I saw that and I heard that compelling story and I started reading more and more about the benefits of medical cannabis, I knew this was an area that I wanted to uh, fully understand, fully embrace and uh, promote both from a personal and a professional point of view. And I'm, I'm happy that uh, I'm able to do that and pleased that I'm able to join with uh, my colleagues, John and Zach, today on this podcast. Uh, thanks, Robert. Uh, John, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great, Zach. I appreciate uh, being on today with you and Robert. Um, John Pelletier, I've been with Grassi and Company 22 years. Uh, I head up the firm's healthcare services group. And that was sort of sort of the entree initially back in 2014, where we started examining if this was a space we needed to be in. You know, we we saw the world changing on the West Coast and how there was a lot of momentum potentially, certainly medical was, was getting hot and then recreational as well. And, you know, our healthcare clients started to ask us about it. So, you know, when, when we started to see that our existing clients, especially in the healthcare community, were interested in it, we uh, we delve into it. You know, I met uh, met some people out in Colorado. I had some friends out there in 14. Found out about what was going on there. I figured, you know, you start there and, uh, you know, let's uh, let's do our due diligence. And, you know, from there it was, uh, you know, it was a natural entree. And, you know, the uh, the reputational risk was was probably the biggest thing, you know, back in 14. Still early on, but, uh, you know, we uh, we went at it as we do in any of our other industries. If we're going to go at it, we're going to, as a firm, we're going to uh, bring all our resources to it and really dive in and, and learn the business. And that's uh, that's what me and Robert and certainly yourself over the last, you know, four or five years have been doing and look forward to continue doing it. All right. Thanks, John. So you mentioned a little bit about just opening up the practice here within the firm. What was that experience like? Uh, what were some of those conversations? How did you even approach that? I mean, you hit reputational risk on the head. Uh, yeah. How, how does someone address that? It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny story. I look back on it now. And, um, you know, when I first wanted at the end of 14, I went into uh, Lou Grassi because, you know, Grassi and company, it's a very entrepreneurial type firm, you know, where where the partners see opportunities in front of them that maybe other people may not see. The culture here is let's go at it. Let's find it. Let's let's understand if we could really make a, you know, make an impact in this uh, in this arena. 
And, uh, you know, that's what we always did. So at the end of 14, I go over into Lou's office and I sit down and this is not going to be an easy conversation, but I tell him, <laughs> I, think, I think we need to get into the pot business. I said, the world is changing. Our healthcare clients are really asking us about it. So Lou's a great listener. He sat back and he let me do my pitch for a good 10, 15 minutes. He smiled at me and, and turned his head and goes, we're not getting into pot. And, and I left the office at that point. So <laughs> as I'm leaving, as I'm walking out, I said to him, I go, I'll see you at the end of 15. We'll do this again. So at the end of 15, I come back into his office. He's got a smile on his face. I go, look, the world is still moving now. It's got some good momentum. Because no, still not getting into it. <laughs> I go, all right, I'll see you at the end of 16. By the end of 16 came, there was some real good momentum going on. And I walked in and he said, okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's move forward with it. So I, I got the blessing. We went forward and we haven't looked back since. No, that's amazing. And what were those first few steps like? I mean, how, how did you go from zero to being a full active uh, practice in, in that amount of time? Uh, a lot of it was just self-teaching, you know, read up on it, got really familiar with it. I started doing some writing and speaking. You know, I did a speaking engagement with uh, the New York State Bar Association probably back in the late 16, maybe early 17. Um, you know, and, and at that point, we started talking about taxes and the banking. And there were a lot of a lot of the issues that exist now existed back then. But. It was just diving into it, you know, speaking, writing on it, you know, meeting the right people, getting out in the industry, finding the organizations, um, finding, you know, the law firms. You know, law firms were a great relationship with us because, uh, you know, they, it was new on the legal side, the accounting. There were a lot of issues and it, it was just uh, it made the path of entree into some of these uh, clients, you know, relatively seamless. No, and that makes all the difference in the world. And then not long after that, we met at the State Society and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and, and that's what I found about this industry. You know, we me and Robert first did the MJ Biz conference three years ago uh, out in Las Vegas. And it's such a collaborative industry. I've never worked in an industry where people actually compare notes, have trade secrets, talk about, you know, how we're going to make this industry rise. And, you know, everyone understands, look, we all pull our weight in the right direction collaboratively. There'll be plenty of time to lay our stakes in the ground right now. It's let's work together. Let's get it there. And then we'll, we'll figure out the rest. And that is something that's been really unique about the intersection of cannabis and accounting. And, and Robert, I'd love to bring you in on this as well, since you did come into the firm and, and join the cannabis practice after it was already formed. Just speak a little bit to the fact that this has been very collaborative, that uh, it's the rare case where, as professionals, we are all working together, even though we're theoretically competition. Thanks, I was back. And uh, I just wanted to share, when I first joined the firm in 2017, I was... Um, I saw that there was going to be a cannabis show at the Javits Center and it was not in the budget for the firm. And I reached out to the powers that be and I said, this is our backyard. If we're going to be in the cannabis space, we have to be there. And uh, just like John said, in terms of the firm being progressive thinkers, they said, get a booth. And that was my first entree into um uh, a trade show for cannabis at the Javits Center. It was uh, eye-opening. I did meet those other CPA firms that had 
tables at the show. And we were all talking about uh, our experiences in cannabis together and collaborating and seeing how we could help one another, even though we're friendly competitors. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I started to do for the firm, and I um, I have to give a shout out to John for, for pushing me in that direction, is uh, symposiums um, and seminars in the cannabis space, not something that I had done in my prior uh, accounting career, but researching it and putting together um, uh, symposiums and outlines of, of discussion points and putting together panelists was um, a, a great educational experience for myself and for the cannabis industry in, in, in general. And Zach, I think that's where we first met when at that uh, 2018, I want to say, uh, New York State Society CPA's All Day Cannabis Show, um, I chaired a great panel. I was on another panel. Uh, we had a, a, a table and a booth. And uh, you just keep meeting. If I could uh, bring that home, you just keep meeting more and more people that are in this space, that are connected in this space and need advice that are not just debits and credits, but much beyond the, the, the traditional accounting debits and credits in this space, which is what I find uh, very exciting and challenging. Well, I was going to ask you both if you had any advice for anyone seeking to get into the industry, but uh, obviously you've beat me to that point. <laughs> yeah, we tell everyone, Zach, first question we ask when we get a call always want to ask what do you know about the industry how you know what have, what kind of research have you done you know there, there's a lot of people that just want to dive into because it it's sexy it's hot and there's you know they're talking 100 billion dollar industry uh, we won't even work with people that haven't gotten done their research done their homework because there's so many minefields here and um you know there's uh we just tell everyone really be cautious what you're getting into get a great cannabis attorney and certainly good cannabis cpas that that understand the complexities I mean, if you're if you're getting into the industry, there's no question about that. That's great advice. Uh, so without mentioning any names or anything too specific, uh, do you guys mind getting into a little bit of your experiences in dealing with clients, whether it's some 280E challenges or going back to that sort of consulting advisory work that you just mentioned? Yeah, sure. Look, you know, the the big issue from a tax perspective, well, there's a couple of them right now. 280E is is the big kryptonite in the industry because, you know, unfortunately what it ends up doing is it disallows a lot of ordinary and necessary business deductions that other non-cannabis companies could take advantage of. What's the so, four most powerful sentences in the industry? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know it limits it limits the any of the clients that are currently touching the plant cultivators manufacturers dispensaries it limits them to deduct only their cost of the product that they're selling which severely inhibits the cash flow of the business severely inhibits the um, increases the taxability, you know, normally, you know, our top tax brackets, 37% with some of these companies with losing the deductions, you end up, you know, you could be at a 60 to 70% effective tax bracket. So we do a lot of work trying to mitigate um, the tax end of it. Um, there's some, 
you know, when you look at the, you know, this industry, it's really a combination of three. It's an agricultural business, it's a manufacturing business, and it's a retail business. And each of those businesses have their little nuances within the tax code of how to allocate, especially cost stuff into cost of goods sold. And that's a big part of what we do. We try to get as much into that cost of goods sold um, category, um, documenting time, services, what exactly are their job descriptions? It's an intense process, but we, we do a lot. And, you know, that uh, that mitigates, you know, certainly a lot of the taxes that uh, that our clients are paying. The, the other thing that we've been doing is restructuring in terms of entity selection, C-Corp LLC, with a lot of the early um, license holders in a number of different states. Some of the states had not-for-profit statutes that they had to be recognized under. Some now want to go from not-for-profit to for-profit. So the, the structure and the tax advisory work that we're doing with that in a number of different states right now, um, significant and uh, a lot of little loopholes in there and opportunities for existing companies as well as new companies to take advantage of from a tax structure perspective. So that's uh, that's been taking up a lot of time over the last six to nine months. So what you're saying is there's nothing going on and uh, no real changes to worry about, right? No, sitting around, picking, uh, eating strawberries and going apple picking. That's, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> Not a bad plan. Uh, Robert, how about yourself? Sure, if I could jump in. One of the other uh, items that we, that's so critical in the in the cannabis space is um, choice of entity, C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC, uh, extremely important in, in terms of uh, that uh, 280E deduction that's disallowed. One of the items, other items that I've looked at, we'll, we'll just, if I pivot over to the CBD industrial hemp space, uh, which is now legal in, um, I think, 48 out of the 50 states, um, is can we get a an R and D credit if I am able to um, develop a new strain of CBD, whether it's CBG or a new way of growing it? So it's these ways of thinking outside the box for our clients um, that it, we we use to distinguish ourselves. And we used to, to, to bring those um, uh, key touching points to, to our clients. No, it, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, I guess circling back for both of you, uh, you talk about structuring. Is there a one-size-fits-all answer for the cannabis industry? Well, I would probably say not. I think you really got to look at the facts and circumstances of each situation. Um, what I would say is uh, a lot of these techniques uh, will apply and, and, and be right for many of the companies, but you really got to understand where they're at now, where they're looking to go, and more importantly, what's, what's their exit strategy? You know, where, where, where do they see this going five years, 10 years? Because um, that's going to really dictate, you know, what makes the most sense and, you know, what's the most efficient way to go at it. Yeah. That's right. uh, Robert, anything to, uh, yeah, I, I was going to just jump in and say, John, you hit it right on the head. It's, it's know your client before we could even come in and give advice to a particular client. It's know the client. Uh, what is their, what is their business strategy? What is their exit strategy? 
what do they plan on doing? Uh, is it going to be a multi-state uh, operator? Are they going to uh, be uh, grow, extract, and sell? Are they just going to be focused in on that uh, on one element of the, of the three? Uh, and it's not one size fits all. It's quite possible that I might have multiple entities at multiple levels um, doing different things that are all flowing up to a master. Uh, we really like to bring in other professionals uh, that might help us with the structuring so that from day one, what I think is critical is from day one, structure it properly so that when the client is looking at that exit, then we don't have to scramble then we are able to exit in a tax advantaged position. And I think that's really critical. It's those initial conversations with, with the client that'll help us determine that. Hey, Robert, that, that was great. You said three key words there, know your client. I think that's the mantra for the industry. Um, there's a lot of bad pretenders out there. You know, where we talk with the banks, where we try to, you know, get our clients banking. We work with some of the banks that are currently accepting cannabis clients. And they talk about the same thing every day. Know your client, know who you're dealing with, you know, make sure you're you're dealing with the right people. And, and they have a sound strategy. You know, everyone thinks they all have a good business strategy until you start poking holes in it. And, uh, you know, knowing the client, knowing who they're about, background checks, that's all part of standing operating procedures. Great point. Exactly. The KYC process is as important, if not more important in this industry than any others. Yep. It, it cannot be understated just how many, uh, how do we put it, unique parties are involved in this industry. And just to, uh, you know, what's the thing, CYA, uh, yep. you got a KYC. As corny yep. as that is, it's, it's absolutely true and imperative. And the last thing you want as you're building a business, as we are, is bad publicity by taking on a client that ends up getting in the headlines. That's the quickest way to reverse all the good progress any company has made. So we're, we're very cognizant of that. So what you're saying is it, it, it's not worth to make a, a, a couple of dollars today to sacrifice many more tomorrow. I would never, never want to go down that path. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, we don't need to be uh, be the best right now. You know, we'll we'll do it right, and I'd rather have it sustainable than uh, than lose three years by picking up a wrong client just for a fee. Doesn't make sense. And that is amazing advice for anyone listening out there. Make sure you know yourselves, know your clients, know the industry before you dive in headfirst. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, if I if I could expand on that, that really applies to uh, each and every industry that we as a firm are in, not just cannabis. And of course, important in cannabis, but uh, just in general, if the firm, if I, which I know our firm has that philosophy, is uh, not going to sacrifice uh, just for a, a quick fee. It's a long term relationship, and we want to be not just on the accounting side, but on the advisory side also. And what's interesting, Robert, about that, you know, internally. We, we have a, a team of three partners that can say no to a new client. So we have some good checks and balances here that if a partner really believes we want to take on a client, but our, you know, we have a, a team that has to approve it, you know, three, three members of our executive committee, and they have the right to, to say no to a client. So we, we try to put the right checks and balances because, you know, we, uh, if one of us uh, picks up the wrong client, it affects the whole firm. It just doesn't affect the industry. Exactly. And reputation matters. And that circles back around to one of the initial points. 
about managing the reputation, the reputational risk around this industry. So yeah. I, I think we all have some uh, some horror stories as of this point, just uh, in dealing with some of some of the groups out there. Oh yeah. So just to circle back around a little bit, uh, we've spoken about some of the deficiencies that we've seen in the market. Uh, can you guys think of any that really any operator would need, need to know about, whether it's deficiency in documentation or uh, some processes maybe that could be optimized? I mean, what do you guys think? Sure. Want to take that, Robert? Sure. So one of the things that I see is that uh, a lot of the companies that we come into contact with, whether it's cannabis or um, industrial hemp, is uh, not enough attention is paid to the internal accounting and or forecasting uh, part of the business. And I think that's critical. And uh, one of the roles that we as a firm can play is initially when these companies are growing, they could outsource a lot of that work to us so that we know from day one, their books and records are in shape. So if they do need a, an audit or a quality of earnings statement, um, uh, they're in good shape, so to speak, as opposed to now I got to scramble, now I got to recreate what we do the last three years, what happened. And I, I think that's really critical. And I think uh, a lot of times the budget of these companies is not sufficient for that. And it's probably more cost effective for them to outsource it to us as we help them grow. And then we would help them find the right people and the right software for them to, to utilize for uh, for their internal accounting systems. Yep, great, great point, Robert. And I, I, would, I would even take it a step further. Um, you know, I, I think documentation, you know, when we talk about taxes, you know, the documentation of, of how they're tracking everything, uh, how they're allocating everything. Documentation is key. If you look at any of the audit cases out there, all the ones that had the biggest problems with the IRS were, you know, lack of documentation, lack of consistency. So I, I think that's going to be, you know, that's the first takeaway for any, any new company getting out there. And then the second thing, you know, as Robert said, you know, you gotta, gotta look at your numbers. You gotta look at your cash flow. You gotta look at your profitability the idea of just spending money you know learn from some of these other public companies that aren't going to be around anymore you know prudent business um operations watch cash you want to be profitable the idea of just building and expanding without a, a path to profitability is pointless and i think you know we're starting to see that with with a lot of the companies right now and then the, the lack of liquidity and the lack of lending you got to manage your cash flow you got to look at where you're investing and you know, you got to be, you know, really focused, laser focused on what the next six to 12 months look like, where are we putting our resources? You know, now you're starting to see a lot of these companies that are having their first harvest now and they're, you know, maybe their second year. They're hitting, they're heading for tax issues that no one is even thinking about. And, you know, what we've recently started doing with a lot of our clients is starting to map out the next six months of cash needs, tax needs right into the first quarter of uh, 2021 because you know as you go through this drill they're not thinking about how much they're going to owe in taxes you know their, their idea is oh there's no money in the bank we have no tax well a lot of those a lot of that money that you spent are on non-deductible expenses so we we do have some tax bites so that that's the hidden landmine is the cash flow and the projections and you know where are we going to allocate resources very very big which then in turn 
affects how investable you are to third parties, to public markets, and then it just snowballs from there. So I, I don't think you can underscore just how important that that is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and to Robert's point, you know, look, you'll see with a lot of these early companies, you know, go back to the 17 and 18, we would meet with companies. They had the smallest accounting departments you could imagine. And they were public companies. We knew someone, a public company, there was two people in the accounting office because back then they weren't interested in the numbers. It was about growing. It was about getting a footprint. You know, the idea was we'll spend now and we'll deal with it down the road. Well, you know, the day of reckoning came earlier for a lot of these people and they all ran out of camp to be expanded. So, and it's amazing just how many of these groups that they form and then, all right, in 12 to 18 months, we're going public without having a plan. With no plan. Because, well, look, because they were all watching the early, the early players. They were going back to 16 and 17 and looking at these companies, you know, that had no earnings, you know, just had a, a pipe dream of what they could do. No pun intended. Right. Very good. But, 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 you know, that, that's the reality of it. You know, they, they were all, they just, and, and you had the perfect storm because you had society and a, a segment of investors that had a lot of cash, a lot of wealth, and weren't asking a lot of questions about the deals they were getting. They just wanted to get in. Look, if, if you're going to, you're going to make me 30% of my investment, I'm in without asking the questions. So, you know, that what we've seen now is, you know, the, the people looking to invest, it's, dried up there's fewer and the ones that are investing are looking for due diligence on these companies looking to understand what they're going to invest in are quality companies that they're not just going to throw their money away like like others did over the last couple of years and it seems like the days of pre-revenue cannabis companies getting a blank check are are long past yeah yeah so spot on zach and you would you would think that yet i looked at two deals last week I had a candid conversation with the guy. I go, I go, you're not even in business yet. You, you didn't even get a license. How could you possibly be valuing this for 75 million? And, and, and it's, it's a problem, but guys like that will never get money, you know, because the real players in the space, the real money guys understand these pitch decks. They understand um, projections. They understand the business more than a lot of them did three years ago. So if, you know, I tell everyone like this guy had a candid conversation. I go, if you don't come back down to reality with what your valuation is, no one's even going to waste their time with you. Even if it's a great company, even if it's got a great model, great business, even if it's sustainable, you don't put reasonable projections on there. No one is going to waste their time because they've been through that already. They've seen that, 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 that rodeo and, and they don't want to go back to it and, but you still have people that are overinflating. It's like your house. You know, everyone thinks their house is worth 10 times more than it really is. That's, that's the same thing with cannabis. And, you know, that's uh, still see it, unfortunately. Having recently bought a house, I can personally speak to that. Goodness. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, great. And anecdotally, uh, I think we've all run into this type of experience, though, when it comes to trying to uh, agree with a management team just how much or conversely how little – their their company is worth yeah. and i know we were helping with the due diligence and and just setting up uh, a canvas company for success i think everybody agreed on a valuation of about 10 million which considering they were pre-revenue they had some interesting things they had a good team but somebody whispered in their ear oh this is cannabis you know put another zero behind that and they literally came back with saying 
oh no, we're worth a hundred million with no substance whatsoever. Yeah. That'll, that, 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 that will, uh, that won't yield you anything. You may get some sucker that'll give you a hundred million, but that ain't going to be a sustainable business that I can tell you. Needless to say the, the, the raise did not happen. Yeah. Yeah. And in a climate where, where, you know, uh, capital is very tight. You want to put your best foot forward. You want to, you know, at some point, the investors are going to want to get the return on their investment. And if you're pricing it so out of the market and you're not going to, you know, get any near those returns, you know, you'll never be able to grow the company. So we, you know, anyone that we're working with that's looking to raise capital, we go, look, do it right. You know, underestimate your projections, um, make sure they're achievable, but understand the underlying assumptions through there. If you have a 10,000 square foot growth facility and you're going to tell someone that you're going to produce a hundred million dollars of revenue, you you you're you're barking up the wrong tree. No one no one's even gonna go near that. Yeah, the math doesn't quite. Talking about. So, uh, Robert, just to circle back around to you a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what are you seeing in the market? And this is a very very broad question. I know we could spend another two hours talking about what's happened in 2020 so far, but just just in your experience for this year, what have you seen, and where what do you think's next? So what I've been seeing in the market, and just to circle back a little bit to what uh, we were just talking about, uh, any of these companies that do provide capital in the cannabis space, they must receive 50 pitch decks a month. And they're immediately throwing out those 40 or 45, which are just completely unrealistic. So if we have clients or if you have a client or any of these companies are putting together a pitch deck that is just not based in reality, um, you, you're not even going to get to first base. Uh, that being said, so what I've seen in this market, because of COVID, things have, in New York and New Jersey, which is where we are, that uh, pushed to legalize uh, medical and um, adult use is kind of put on hold. It looks like New Jersey is going to happen in, in the fall. I think what you see is that a lot of the excitement of things that were going to happen right away has been tampered down a little bit, which is probably a good thing for the for the market because it's it weeds out a lot of these shows and a lot of the events that I would go to. You'd have just a lot of people who were in such early exploring stage of being in the cannabis space. Uh, I think a lot of people are excited about cannabis because maybe they have a friend that's on medical or they themselves like to uh, uh, ingest cannabis as opposed to seeing that bigger picture. Uh, What I do see, though, is that uh, the excitement is returning. I'm seeing more and more um, symposiums and podcasts like we're putting together right now on cannabis that a lot of the in-person webinars and events that I would be going to, that we would collectively go to, are now online, um, and it seems that, uh, in, in my experience, the, the market is opening up again, and one of the items we haven't spoken about, maybe we want to just save this for a little later, is banking in the cannabis industry and that ability for us as professionals to be able to bring in the right banking partner for our clients to make sure that they are able to bank and that they're able to obtain credit if, if needed. Uh, that's so incredibly important. I know that they've they've tried to push legislation both locally in California, 
uh, amongst other states and at a national level uh, just to clear up these banking issues. Uh, we've seen the, the SAFE Act be teased, what, three, three times now? Yeah. And uh, while it's not uh, a perfect solution, it at least brings attention to the fact that if this industry is to be treated as, you know, quote unquote legitimate, which I, I think we can all agree on here that it is, it, it has to begin there banking you know being a cash only business just brings so many issues with it and we've seen very quietly more and more banks uh, take it upon themselves to get into the industry but just to have uh, you know more fine guidance at all levels is, is imperative here yeah and, and just to piggyback on that guys it, it, it was just very interesting you know where you know this industry was deemed essential right from the beginning and, you know, that was, to me, again, more compelling arguments why we believe it's not a matter of, you know, if it will become legal, but when it will become legal. You see all these, all these little positive signs of what's happening. And the irony of that is this was an industry that was deemed essential, yet we, they, they couldn't apply for any of the PPP funding, any of the SBA loans. They still can't get banking, but we're essential. So there, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But again, like you said, Zach, even though SAFE Act it keeps getting struck down, you know, they were supposed to vote on the Moore Act, the House yesterday. They squashed that. I was just talking with someone yesterday who's been in the industry, industry for a while. And, you know, these are, although they're somewhat negative that they're being struck down, the fact that in and of themselves, each of these things is helping to give more credibility that this industry isn't going anywhere and it will continue to propel. We see yesterday the IRS published uh, guidelines on the cannabis industry. So, again, these are all good things where as people are getting into the space or already in the space, these are all positive momentum. There's no guarantee that it's going to continue. But to me, each of these things in and of themselves isn't a watershed moment, but you combine them all together and, you know, you can sort of see the writing on the wall. Exactly. I think the momentum is there. The results may not be, but it's a national conversation. And yeah. at this point, that's a victory in and of itself. Absolutely. So we're, we're starting to come up on our, our time here. Uh, any any uh, last piece of advice, final words, anything interesting as a final topic here? Sure. I, you know, I, I think, as, you know, the theme, you know, the theme today is if you're going to get into the space, do your homework, know the industry, talk to people that have been in it before, <clears throat> really do your due diligence and dig in before you start to make investments in, in the industry. And, and then I think, you know, that the second thing I would say is uh, do it right. Don't take shortcuts. Um, it's a long process. <clears throat> You're not going to hit it overnight. It's going to be a methodical long-term process, but uh, get your ducks in order and do it right. You know, get the right team of people, get the right growers, get the right management team, get the right capital resources that those are all going to be into, you know, helping you at least increasing your chances for success. And if I can add to that, if it's in, it's incumbent on all of us to continue to push our legislators to legalize adult use and, or at the very least uh, push the legislators to pass a version of, of the safe banking act so that the cannabis can enter the mainstream. 
and would allow uh, uh, patients and others to utilize their credit cards. I, I think it's really incumbent that we collectively have that voice with our our uh, legislators to, to continue to push them uh, on these very important issues. Great point. Advocacy is huge. I, I spot on, Rob. Probably the most important thing, get involved. You know, we at Grassi and Company were on a number of advocacy groups, both in the city and New Jersey and Long Island. Um, you know, advocacy is going to be the, the biggest way that we uh, we move this thing forward. All right. And I think that is a, a fantastic point to, to end this on. So, Robert, John, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great speaking with you guys, as, as usual. Great job. Thank okay. you. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. And thank everybody, everybody, thank you for listening.